we're, we're so thankful for you guys, and we're so happy to be back with you. It's, uh, I don't even know how long ago it was, but it was a long time ago. We'll say that. And, um, but it's super fun to be with you guys and see familiar faces and new faces, too. And uh, Romania update. Like, I could actually just stand here and tell you guys testimonies from the last year, and that would be fun. But I do, I do want to share, like, one thing. Um, but Romania, so we've been on the ground there now for one year. Uh, we have a team of 14 that are living there full-time. Five of them are from Romania. The rest are from our Mexico base. And uh, we, have, we have been in the building for one year. Um, we're on the first floor occupying it. The rest of it's a big, empty warehouse that was filled with garbage that we've emptied out. And now the first floor is filled with, I think, 50, almost 60 kids every day. And almost all of these kids are from gypsy villages that are surrounding our, our city. And um, we're seeing so much transformation in these kids' lives so fast. And, and it's just, it's so fun to watch. It's so hard all at the same time, but it's beautiful. And uh, we launched church four weeks ago. And uh, we've been doing team church there with about four families, and we opened up to the city four weeks ago. And so we're just excited about what God's doing there. Guys, we own the building. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We got a little bit of debt, but we raised over a million dollars in two years, which, um, like, for some of you guys that don't, this will kind of lead into where we're going, but um, for some of you guys that don't know uh, how we got to Mexico, um, Oscar told you. And, um, and, and, yeah, and we, when we went down there, my parents literally sold, they had a word from the Lord to move to Mexico, they sold everything they had, their businesses, houses, everything, moved us down there not knowing the language, and they just started, and they just invested everything that they were and everything that they had into that place. In 25 years, the most expensive thing we had ever purchased was a piece of land for $60,000. We only ended up having to pay 30000 for it. So when we got to Romania and God was like, we walked, Gina and I walked through the doors of this 85,000 square foot factory and Holy Spirit said, this is it. I was like, this is going to be way too much money, God. <laughs> and, um, and he was really, really clear with me in that conversation of why do you want to wait 30 years to do what I can do right now? And you have no answer for that other than I don't but I still don't understand how this is going to happen. But I do understand that if you said it, I'll follow, and, and I'll step out with you. And, uh, and uh, um, so many friends and family and yourselves from all around the world jumped on board. We raised a million dollars in two years. We made the final payment to them uh, six weeks ago. Wild story, and um, God's just been so, so good, and we're, we're in it. And, uh, and we're in it to win it. So um, we got, we got like our, our, our inheritance that we're walking in from my parents very much is just one of radical faith. You know, they, they, were, they were the normal U.S. family, owned a couple businesses, and, and uh, were really involved in local church. And they, when they heard to take care of abused and abandoned children, like I said, they sold everything. That, that became our normal in, in our everyday life. And um, it's, it's something that faith and radical faith is celebrated in the church, and rightly so. We got into this building purchase, and, and when we got um, to a place where we thought we had 10 or 11 months to make the final payment, we found out in a meeting with a bunch of lawyers that we were wrong and we only had uh, 
like 58 days, and we were short about $750,000, and um, and which seemed really disheartening and terrifying. And um, and so we started reaching out to our friends and family and and all of these people and. And I think we raised about a quarter of a million in 60 days, and we couldn't raise any more. And we had to make all of these massive adjustments and, and things that were in our budget and the ministry overall and what we were doing in Mexico. And then we found ways, and God opened up doors for us to borrow about half a million dollars, which we've never been in a position to borrow money ever because we, we live, all of our assets are in international countries, and we just couldn't do it. And so in those 60 days, we raised the money, we're able to borrow the rest and make it. When we came up with like all of this strategy and plan and doing all of these things, like uh, there was a little bit of me that was like, God, I'm like, by, me, by us strategizing and us making adjustments in what we're doing, are, like, are we kind of cutting you out of the loop? And like, is this like a lack of faith on our part? so that we're doing something that we should be waiting for you to show up at the last minute, even though like 58 days is pretty close to the last minute. And, um, and we actually didn't get all of those funds in until about four days before we had to actually transfer the money. And I, I, I emailed to our board, I emailed to uh, one of our closest friends and, and said, hey, we're doing this, this, and this, and this is what we're seeing God do, and this is what, this is what we can do by borrowing money and doing all this stuff. And he, re- he emailed me back, and he was like, you guys have displayed great faith and wisdom at the same time. And it was, it was just a real simple email, and it came back to me, but it hit my heart really hard. And like we, in, as a church body, we celebrate radical faith and great faith, and rightly so. But a lot of times, I think we misuse the word wisdom, and we actually feel like wisdom actually wars against faith or creativity. Only if you actually go to scriptures, you actually learn that, that wisdom complements faith and that wisdom was always present during great moves of faith and wisdom was actually present during all of creation. And so there's this thing that, that I found out in my own life that it was like I actually used faith with God as like the gas pedal and I used wisdom as the brake. Only it was never intended to be like that. And so we, sometimes we tend to be like, hey, I'm operating out of a place of great faith. And then other times we actually kind of disregard faith and we go, now I'm operating out of wisdom. And it keeps us from taking great steps of faith because it's not the right season. Or we can come up with some really churchy excuses. Yeah. You guys all right? Yeah. And there's, there's something going on in the church just with creativity and wisdom and wisdom has been used to somewhat quelch great moves of faith and creativity. And I feel like there's something happening in the church where God, in the spirit, where God actually wants to merge these two, that they actually operate the same, and that we would come to a place to have high value, where we would actually have a list like Hebrews 11 and 12, where it wouldn't just be men of great faith, men and women of great faith, but there would be men and women of great wisdom. Because there's really not very many people that are highlighted throughout Scripture, except for Solomon, that's noted as a great person of wisdom. You guys okay? And so I just feel like there's, there's wind on this, and this is something... I want to go through some Scripture, if that's okay. I'm going to read quite a bit. And uh, go to Proverbs 8 real quick. Here's the other thing. I haven't spoken without a translator 
in over a year. Yeah, you guys. Yeah. And it's so weird. You're going to hear a lot of and um. Like, all right, here you go. So Proverbs 8, you guys know that this is actually wisdom speaking to us. Starting in verse 22, and it says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from beginning, before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought, I brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, and I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, and when he assigned the sea its limits, so that the waters would not transgress his command, what he marked, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Here's, here's what I want to gra- grasp is that like in, in the greatest creation process that history has ever experienced, that wisdom was present throughout the whole thing. And a lot of times we, we kind of categorize creativity as, as fast, kind of loose, faith-filled motion, right? And then we, we look over at wisdom and we're like, well, wisdom is like slow, prudent, you know, very careful and cautious. Only we almost live in this place where we think that wisdom is afraid of failure, like wisdom is, is, is so cautious that it actually is what keeps you from ever failing. And I think one of the things that really grabbed my heart about this was that, that when we read that when wisdom's going like, listen, I need you to know that I was present throughout all of creation. In fact, I was before God in creation and I danced before him and rejoiced for him and God delighted in me, but I delighted in the sons of men. And here's what God like captured my heart with, and he just said, like, if Jimmy, if wisdom was afraid of failure, he never would have participated in the creation of humanity. And yet wisdom was like, listen, God was delighting in me, but I was delighting in the sons of men, and wisdom was fully, fully well knew that, that humanity was going to be one of the greatest failures of history. And yet we go like, hey, like I want to be wise, therefore I won't ever fail. So great steps of faith, I'm going to take a huge risk with God. But when I say, oh, I'm going to be wise, it means that I'm not going to take any risk. And I, don't, I think we have been misusing the concept of God's wisdom. Earthly wisdom might be reserved and pull you back. But wisdom actually complements faith and takes it from ordinary breakthrough into a place of great excellence. You guys all right? All right. Okay, go over to uh, what Gina was talking about. Go to Exodus really quick. Because there's three different, like, design and creation stories that we see that each one of these design and creation stories that actually mirror or shadow heaven, that wisdom was present at all three. So go to Exodus, and we're going we're to read just real briefly about the, the tabernacle. So God shows up, go to um, Exodus 35, I think. 
And so God um, has given Moses the Ten Commandments, and he gives them this incredible design for the tabernacle so that the, so that the presence of God would actually inhabit a tent, and it was a, a, a mirror, a foreshadowing of that one day God would tabernacle in his people, but now that the nation of Israel will gather around the presence of God. And because it was to host his presence, there was an incredible design um, where everything that was in it had prophetic meaning and, and significance. And so the design that was given to Moses was actually beyond their abilities to create. And so they, God actually goes to Moses and he goes, hey, listen, before you actually start doing this, you're going to need all kinds of materials, gold, wealth, all of these things. And he goes, so, so I'm going to take a free will offering and I'm going to stir the hearts of the people and they're going to give. And so he takes an offering for the materials and the people come and they give so much gold and purple linen and all of the materials that are needed that the craftsmen actually come and go, listen, you need to have the people stop giving because we have too much gold, silver, and all of those things. And I have taken a lot of offerings in my lifetime, and that has not happened yet. <laughs> but, but it's in here, and I'm so waiting for that day. Or I'm like, guys, you've given too much. I can't handle it anymore. But here's what happens. Like, he gives them like, really specific designs, and part of the design and part of actually the materials that he's going to require of them don't, doesn't even exist. And so it starts with, I know the most famous is the two men that he puts his spirit, he fills them with their spirit and wisdom. But this part, when I was reading this, caught me with the women. And in verse 25, it says this. It says, All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands, and they brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. So all of the artisans of the time that were skilled, they were crafted, they knew, they knew how to actually create fine linens. But as part of their offering, they took their skill and they created fabric that was needed for the tabernacle and they brought it. And so there was an element of like, hey, we already have some knowledge of what you're going to require from us. And there were skilled artisans to do it. But then in the next verse, it says this. And all the women whose hearts were stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. And it just hit me really hard that God was like, listen, I want your, your purple and your scarlet, and I want all of these linens, linens that your, your best craftsmen are actually capable of doing, but there's actually going to be some things and materials that I'm going to require of you that you're not capable of yet. And so my solution is to stir your hearts with wisdom so that now you're not just creating what you're capable of doing, but my wisdom is actually going to spin in you and it's actually going to connect you to heaven in such a way that you're going to create something that's in my heart that doesn't even exist yet. You guys with me? And it wasn't this radical great step of faith. It wasn't this like huge, like, um, like I'm just going to try really hard to make this happen or I'm going to take this huge risk. It was wisdom. It was wisdom. It was this connection of God that actually connected their hearts to something that was beyond what they had actually dreamt of yet. Are you with me? All right, go flip over to, um, we're going to read one more. Go to, um, go to somewhere in the Bible. Let's do Chronicles, First Chronicles. Without going too back, too far back in the story, like I say, Solomon was the first thing that comes to your mind. Wisdom, really quiet, right through here. 
<laughs> Wisdom. I think the beautiful thing about Solomon, um, well, so many things, but oftentimes we're taught that he, that he actually asked for wisdom. And in reality, if you go back into into First Kings, or if you get back into the into the Hebrew, you realize that he actually asked for an understanding heart. But it wasn't just like an understanding heart. He, in particular, asked God, like, like God, I, for me to be able to lead your people, because I'm I'm. And he presents himself in such a humble way to God, like, I'm so young, and these people are so great. I don't even know how to come in and out. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know you have called me to great things and to lead these people. He goes, I need to be able to think the way you think. And so the wisdom and, and the understanding heart was Solomon going, God, like, I, I don't even want to get into this unless... I can actually begin to process situations the way that you process things. And so, so Solomon begins, and God grants him, and he goes, actually, your heart is so beautiful, and I'm so touched by your humility that, like, because you did that, not only am I going to give you my ability to think, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you with everything else that you can possibly imagine through the way that I think. And so we see this, um, you know that it was in David's heart to build the temple, and, and he comes to God and he goes, like, God, I want to build you a house. And God goes, like, it's funny that you think that you can build me a house to contain my presence, but I love it so much and I've done it in a tent, so let's build a temple anyways. And he, he does come to him later and say, it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son. I actually think that this was actually David's wisdom, God intervening, and it was David's wisdom, um, God's wisdom in David's life for David not to construct the temple. And um, I, I have heard a lot of stories and, and grew up in the church that it was Solomon's bloodshed, that he was a man of war, that, um, that it was even, even like somewhat of a penalty for uh, Bathsheba and, and his lifestyle that said, like, you're not going to be the man that builds my house, but your son who's more pure will. I don't think that's the case. I think that when God actually showed up and speaks to, to David and through Nathan and says, like, listen, it's, it's not going to be you but it's because you're a man of war, and meaning David didn't have rest. Like David's entire life was a life of war. He never had rest. And, and at the time that this came into David's heart, he wasn't just going into unrest with the nations. He was going into unrest with his family. And so David submitted to that word and actually took the rest of his life to prepare the next generation to perform what was in his heart. And I actually believe that this was actually David's greatest move of wisdom, to pass what was in his heart and prepare the next generation for it because he would have been unsuccessful at the end of his reign. And so his son comes, and it's actually, it's actually David who charges Solomon to, with wisdom. Before Solomon asks for it, his, his father charges him with wisdom. And so Solomon asked God, I need, to t I need to think like you in order to construct a house that the world will know hosts your presence. And then by, the, by mid-reign, not just the temple, but the kingdom becomes so filled with God's glory that the nations, the kings and queens of other nations start coming to seek out what they've heard about the greatness of, of Israel. Chapter 9. Second Chronicles 9 it says this, and it says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem, 
testing Solomon with hard questions and having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Sorry, 9-2 now. Second Chronicles. So Solomon answered all her questions, and there was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And then she said to the king, it was true, it was true the report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom, however I did not believe there, however I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me, you exceed the fame, exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are, the, are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. I love this portion of scripture so, so much, because she doesn't, when she's explaining this to Solomon, she doesn't even get to the temple. And yet the temple was what he was charged to build. But he did it in such a way, and he lived in such a way, that the glory that filled the temple actually covered a city. And it was because of his wisdom or his ability to process and think like God. God decisions. It's like you just get rid of all the, like, like the, the, the ease and, and kind of the Christian ease and all of this. It was Solomon's ability to make good God decisions that actually transformed this city and made it so prosperous and so beautiful that the kings and the queens of the earth ran to it and said, how is this possible? Look, you have Sheba, who is literally was born into the life of ultimate luxury. Right? She is the epitome of, of high-end living beyond what probably any of us have ever even thought about. When she comes and sees, not the temple, but she sees David's table, the way his servants are dressed, how happy they are. Solomon's wisdom in speaking, the cupbearers, the, the food that's on the table set her aback. But the part that really gets me more than any of that is the fact that she was like, hey, you know, like, when we got to the the temple to go see the house that you built, God, like before I even got into the temple, it was the staircase that you built. Like that staircase, when I saw that staircase, like, like it was stunning. Like I'd never seen it. I have no idea how you did that. It was so, I've seen a lot of staircases, but, but that staircase, and, and then all of a sudden she finds herself without breath. It took her breath away. And when I was reading these like a couple months ago and I was kind of wrestling with this idea of like, God, I just want to be a man of great faith. I just want to live so radically and take risks. And he was like, I want you to do it with wisdom. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense, God, because wisdom is like the break. And he's like, wisdom is not the dream killer. It's the, it's the dream fulfiller. 
And I'm going like, I want, I want to do it like this. And he brought me to this. And he's like, don't you want to build like a staircase that takes the world's breath away? Don't you want to like live a life that is so splendid, so splendid? But this is, but this is how I see it. I feel like there's, there's going to be people in the next five, ten years that dig into faith and wisdom and begin to take take huge risks coupled with this, this God process of thinking. God's way of seeing things. And they're going to be able to begin to develop family and marriages and businesses and art and churches. And we're going to actually begin to develop these, listen, a marriage that when the people in your city see your life, it literally takes their breath away. You know, parents that are raising their kids in such a way in a family that, that the, the city actually is drawn to that family and goes like, I, like, the way you get your kids ready for school? Like, they don't even get to. They don't even get to, like, man, your family just blows my mind. They're going to be like, man, the way that you just you get your family ready in the morning, like, I have no more breath in me. <laughs> And there's just this thing that God's doing. And here it is. It's not, this, it's not this weird, crazy... I love supernatural, and I love all of those things, and, and this is it. But you want to boil all of that supernatural down to what it is? It's in... It's, I'm going to... Because I'm going to say the wrong thing. It's in 1 Corinthians 2. It's you have the mind of Christ. You actually have the mind of Christ, and it's going to be just good God decisions that we actually start taking those things in our lives and going, God, I don't want to do business as usual with my marriage. I don't want to do business as usual with the church. I don't want to do business as usual with my company. I don't want to do business as usual with the ministry that I'm serving. I don't want to do business as usual with, um, with the sport that I'm playing. But God, I want to get this before you, and I want to know how you think about it. I want you to unlock my, the mind of Christ in me so that I can start making good God decisions in my life where I actually start building staircases in my life that take the world's breath away. You guys okay? Yeah? yeah? Okay. There was... Um, let's just do this. because I don't, what time is I don't want to kill you guys. Good. We're good. Hmm? I couldn't hear you. I know I shouldn't ask Yaku. I should ask Julia always. Like, hey, you always ask the pastor's kids. All right, Th- listen. If if we want to, I think the wonderful, the beautiful thing about God decisions, the beautiful thing about the process of God is, is you can have made a thousand bad decisions in your life, and one good God decision can turn it all around. Like, it, it just, it flips everything. And, and what excites me so much about that is how many believers are on the earth right now. If the mind of Christ was activated in the body of Christ, you know, and we had, we had two billion believers whose minds were turned on, we actually started thinking like God, and we started making God decisions. Like, the world literally could be transformed in a matter of months. It's going to take longer to get the body of Christ's mind activated than it is going to be to, to transform the planet. 
And so here's how we do it. So like, like I, I think there's just going to be this, this movement, a, a wisdom movement, that people actually start diving in on how do we turn our brains on, how do we actually become a people of, because if people of great faith exist in the church, but a people of great wisdom needs to be coupled with that faith to truly move into a place of excellence. And here's the things that God started speaking to me about, and that was this. If you want to be wise... Let's just do this first, because I want to know if you're listening. How many of you want to be wise? Yeah, heaven's wise. Good. It was just for me to know if you're here. (laughs) And James is really clear. He he speaks very clearly, and he goes, listen, if any of you lack wisdom, ask, and he'll give it. And then it goes on about, like, but don't doubt, because if you doubt, you're like a wave tossed to and fro, and don't expect to get anything from God which probably throws 90% of us off, and we're like, oh, man, I doubt all the time, so I am dumb. Like, I, I just don't have the wisdom. And that's not true, because it, it actually moves on, and he actually starts talking about faith and works. And we actually start to understand that, that like, faith is actually a process. From belief to faith, there's a journey in between. And in my personal experiences, there's a lot of doubt between belief and faith. Faith is when you actually own the land. Belief is the process to it. And believe me, there's a lot of times where, where I have stepped out in faith or what I thought was faith and was belief, and God has to come and meet me, and I'm just like, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. You with me? Wisdom is similar to this. There is a process to wisdom. Yes, you ask, and yes, you believe, but there's actually a wisdom. It is not just this. It is developed in your life. Are you okay? Are you with me? And here's the thing. Wisdom is a person. It's a way of thinking, right? In Proverbs 8, if you keep reading, it says that the knowledge of God is understanding. Knowledge is actually intimacy. And so, like, like intimacy comes by spending time with Him. And so, like, we're like, God, I just want the supernatural download of the way that you think. And yet, everything in your life with God requires relationship. And so when God is going like, listen, knowledge is actually understanding, like knowledge of me equals understanding for what you're trying to accomplish. That means this, if you want to be wise, you start taking those areas of your life that you need breakthrough in, and not just the areas of your life that you need breakthrough, but the areas of your life that are, that are great. And you get those things, and you get into the secret place, And instead of asking God to do it, you get in there and you take that issue in your life and you're like, God, I need to see this issue the way that you see it. I need, God, I got this, I've got my my business and I just brought it into the secret place and I I need you to like start showing me the way that you process. Because the way he processes things and the way that we process things are very different but I need to get into the secret place with you until I come out of the secret place with the transformed or renewed mind so that I actually start making decisions not based on what I know, but on the way that you think. That comes from intimacy in the secret place. Are you guys good? Most of the time in our prayer life, like we get out the, the laundry list out and we're like, God, I need you to do this and I need you to do this and I need you to do this. And he's happy to do a lot of those things as a good father. And yet, if you want to be a person like Solomon who operated in great wisdom, 
It was getting in there and going, God, show me how you see this. Show me how you think about this situation so I can start acting accordingly. So like with faith sees, like faith sees the end and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to keep moving towards what I believe is right on the other end. But wisdom was complemented in a way that faith sees and wisdom thinks. It actually starts processing how to get from here to there. Are you all right? So if you want to be wise, get into the secret place and start asking God, not just to do it for you, but God, teach me to think like you so I can start executing your will in my life. All right. And number two, it says this. Like if you want to be wise, like get, learn how to hear God through community. I don't even want to spend too much time on this because it... People that reject counsel or people that reject um, people speaking into their lives or, how should I say this, people that reject hearing God from other people, as in like, I got to hear it for myself. Like, I, I, I know, I hear you prophesying that over me. I hear you, you um, giving direction into this situation of my life. I hear you saying these things. But unless God tells me over here that I'm really not going to move, it's probably the greatest detriment to wisdom in your life than anything else. And meaning that, that you, he's not going to allow you to do it on your own. He's going to require for you to engage in community. And probably the biggest failure of mine and I think of the church is that we're super fake with one another. Like, I, I, I grew up in the church, and I, I grew, uh, grew up in the ministry, and we pastor a church in Mexico and Romania, and, like, we walk into church on a Sunday morning, and you haven't seen these people in so long, and, and people are like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> the next person comes to you, and you're like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. And there's this feeling of, like, we don't have enough time. I don't want to be vulnerable. Like, I, this isn't the time or the place. And, and you actually end up finding yourself in a place where you're like, I'm part of a community, but you're actually isolated in the center of a community. And you're not actually submitting your life and actually receiving counsel and God's word from your life because you're not actually being honest and vulnerable with the people around you. And so you get yourself so... Here, I'll tell you guys a, a, a personal thing that, that came to me like not too long ago. And um, I, I, tr- I preach vulnerability, and yet I find myself, at, find myself at times like having internal conversations and struggles that I'm like, oh, I've gotten myself to a place where I can't tell anybody about what's going on inside of me, primarily because I'm a leader and like I, all these people are following me and I can't tell them. And so I'm getting into this, um, this expansion journey from, Roma- from Mexico to Romania. And we get in, and, and we have such clear words from God do this, and we're watching God show up and do the miraculous. And, and it was probably about eight months ago, and, and um, like things were hard. And, and I got into this place where I got myself internally to where I was like, hey, like, I would never tell anybody this. And I was like, hey, like, and this is actually the first church I've told this. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. This is private. 
And I got myself to this place where I remember the day that it hit me, and I was walking from my house in Mexico over the hill to the office, and I was going to, to preach in devotions that morning, and I was walking over the hill, and I got to the top of the hill, and I was just like, man, I wish we hadn't done this. Man, I wish we hadn't launched in Romania. And I'm talking to God about it, and I'm just like, God, like, I, I remember like two years ago, and life was really good. Like, like, we were doing great things, and we were happy, and I could sleep, and, and like, we weren't living on an airplane, and, you know, all of these things, and I'm giving him the laundry list, and I'm just, and, and the thing was, God was so quiet. Like, he wasn't even answering me. And here's the thing, like, like, vulnerability for me with God is not hard because I figure he already knows. Like, I'm like, God, I don't really have anything to hide from you. Like, I could be stupid and try and hide it, but that wouldn't work. Like, I'm smarter than that. And so I don't have a problem taking that thing to God and going like, I, don't, I'm, I wish I hadn't done this, but I'm in it. And I wish I hadn't done it. And so I couldn't shake this. And so for like 30, 45 days, there's this internal like fight inside of me. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to tell anybody on my staff. I don't even want to tell Gina because that feels like disheartening. Like, I don't, I want to be strong and, um, and then I have friends and, and people, and I'm like, I don't want to call it. And then I, I realized this. I was like, every friend I have has sewn into this. <laughs> and I'm like, everybody's given money. Everybody I know has sewn into this. Like, I'm not going to call them and w- say, like, I wish I hadn't done this. <laughs> like, I can't do that. And then I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm like super isolated, and God, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore, and I don't know what to do. And then like, and God's still not answering me. And so then I get this phone call from another ministry leader that I'm not close with. I barely know this guy, but he had a pretty good size. He has a pretty good size um, ministry in the states to young people, and and they rescue, they do sex trafficking work, and. And, um, and about a year and a half ago, two years ago, he launched, a, he actually bought and is planting a base in Mexico about six hours south of us. And so he calls me out of the blue and he's talking to me and he's like, hey, this is happening, this is happening. And I can tell like we're talking about nothing. And so after like 30 minutes, I'm like, hey, did you, like, did you need something? Because we're not even friends. <laughs> and he goes like, he's like, hey do you ever have days where you're like, I wish I hadn't done this? And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm like real pastor vulnerability here, okay, you ready? Like, you're going to think less of me, but don't. And I'm like, this is my chance, like, I can be like vulnerable and I can look like a really good leader. And I'm like, dude... Like, every other day, I feel that way. And I'm feeling pretty good, like, all right. But, and he's like, so how do you get out of that? And I'm like, oh, God, I don't have an answer. Like, <laughs> okay, this is what happens. Like, he asked me the question, and I'm like, oh, God. And this is what happens instantly. Like, this happens so fast. Like, Holy Spirit just goes, Gabriel. And it's a little boy in Romania that Gina and I have fallen in love with. He's one of the first boys that we started working with. And um, he, has, he basically has no family. He lives on a piece of land with aunts, uncles, just the most dark, broken family you can imagine. 
Um, he's never been to school in his life. He begs all the time. He begs for the family. He could be gone out begging for three or four days at a time. He's seven. He was seven at the time, and nobody would know where he was. And um, he got signed up into our program, and, and we went and got him. And the, the, his mom said, yeah, yeah, he can come to program with you guys. First day of program, I went and, um, to pick him up, and he wasn't at the bus stop. And so he's not at the bus stop, so we hike up the hill where the bus can't get to to get to his little shack house where everybody's living. And all the adults are, like, sitting outside, and they're around, and they don't even talk to you. You, you just walk to the shack where he's living and open the knock. I, I, there's no door. It was like a curtain, and I, I pull back the curtain, and Gabriel's sitting there, you know, like, cross-legged, and he's just rocking, and I'm like, it's, it's Gabriel and um, Jessica and me, and, and Jessica's like, Gabriel. He's not answering. He's just rocking. And we go, Gabriel. Gabriel, it's time to go. It's time to come with us to program. And he's just rocking, and I'm like, hey, Gabriel, snap my fingers. And he's like, and, and, he, and he's toast. Like he's, he's like, kind of comes over, but he's, he's kind of fried. And I'm like, hey. And Jessica asks him, buddy, are you okay? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm okay. And I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, I didn't have anybody to wake me up for school and program, so I just stayed up all night. First day in school, no shoes, no nothing. And, and so my whole 45-day journey that I'm internalizing with God, I'm like, I wish I hadn't done this, God. I need like some kind of an anchor. I need something. And I'm like, God, where are you in this? And, and God's like, crickets. And I'm like, I can't tell anybody. I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to like reveal. I don't want to be real about this because I feel like it will be detrimental to them. Or whatever, and um, and so the very first time, an almost stranger calls me by the grace of God and goes, "Hey, you ever feel like this?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah," and then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit shows up and goes, "Gabriel," and my heart breaks, and I'm like, "I would do it every day, over and over again, for that little boy. I would do everything that we're doing, and I would do it 20 more times to see him find Jesus, to see him just eat one meal, to see him." get what he needs, and it all came from being real and getting vulnerable, and it came from a place of, of just going like, God, like I need to hear you through my family. I need to hear you through the body of Christ, and not just through the word, and not just through the prophetic encounter, but I need to hear you through other people. And God was going like, listen, if you want wisdom, you need to engage and hear me from others. And I'm not going to give you everything that you need through Scripture, and I'm not going to give you everything that you need through the secret place because you need family. And if you want to be wise, engage in the family. You guys good? Okay, last one. And it's this, and it, and it was like, listen, you want to get wise... You want to get, actually, I would just put it this way. You want to be smart, learn from your own mistakes. Like, mistakes are never, mistakes are mistakes, and, and we all make them. And if you want to start accumulating wisdom in your life, learn from them. Don't repeat them. That'll make you smart. You want to be wise, learn from other people's mistakes. Like, you don't have to fail yourself to learn from other people's mistakes. And it's not just that in the kingdom. We don't just learn from people's mistakes. We learn from, from people's victories. And this is, this is the, thing that, the thing I believe generationally about, about wisdom, and that is this, that what God wants to do through your life cannot actually be accomplished in one lifetime. 
in meaning this, that if you don't actually dig back into previous generations and you don't actually dig into, um, into like the church forefathers of this church, if you don't dig into um, what the church has paid a price for previously and learn from it and build on it, but you refuse and, and, and demand that, like, no, no, out of this place of independence, I'm going to learn it all on my own. You'll never actually get to the life and the, and the place that he's actually called you to. Like this is, I think this is like one of the most key things for the church right now is learning that, that we actually have to become wise. We actually have to learn from previous generations and honor a multi-generation church inside of the four walls right now. Like we need to learn how to operate with every generation that's with us and learn from them so that we don't just keep repeating this cycle of one life saved, one life comes to this great place and stops, and when it ends, the next generation refuses and learns the same, thing, same things all over again. Learn from the failures and the victories of everyone around you. And then we start moving forward. Listen, I, ultimately it's this. I want to live a life that takes, takes the world's breath away. I don't want to have to kick down the doors of every nation and every city and, and every, in all the world. Solomon lived in such a way that it so demonstrated the kingdom of God on their nation that the nations came to them. Sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 60. I want to, I want to, I want to see marriages that push so far beyond what we've seen so far. I want to see businesses that, that break into new areas and ideas that came straight from heaven. I want to see church like, like honor the past but so radicalize the future. And it's not going to happen through just great steps of faith. It's going to happen through wisdom. I want to see child like raising our children in such a way that, that you know, that that the world literally comes to our families and, and ultimately asks, who's your daddy? Are you guys all right? Yeah. We're going to pray. Are you good with that? Why don't you go stand up? I don't think you can actually pray sitting down. All right, simple prayers. I think most of us associate faith with our heart and wisdom with our brain, and I think we need a bridge. We need this to be turned on in a different way, but we need a bridge between faith and wisdom. And so why don't you guys grab your hearts. Father, we thank you for faith, yeah. and we thank you for the heroes of the faith. And God, we say more, more of it, like give us more faith to do radical things with you, to take take massive steps into the unknown. Yeah. And God, we thank you for our minds, and we thank you that you put your mind in us, that it's already there, that it's a reality, that it's true, that we have the mind of Christ. In fact, say it with me, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Yeah. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would turn that on right now, that it would be activated like never before. 
And God, we pray that you would join these two things, that we would actually stop thinking that it's one or the other. Like today, I'm, I'm taking a great step of faith, and tomorrow I'm using wisdom. But these two things operate one and the same. That wisdom was always present during your greatest creative moments, God. That wisdom isn't afraid of failure. That wisdom, like faith, will take great risks to see your, to see your way in our lives. And so, God, I pray that, that I pray that wisdom would run wild in our hearts and faith would actually run wild in our brains. Go ahead and put, lay your hands on somebody next to you. And pray for them. God, I pray for courage. I pray for courage to actually take great steps of faith, but God, we pray that wisdom would be the foundation of those steps. And God, I just we pray for them, God, that their, that their mind would be unlocked, that they would have the courage to be real with one another in community, God, that they would be smart enough to take the issues of their lives and the things that they're highlighting, that you're highlighting to them, into the secret place, God. And that when they got into the secret place, God, you would actually begin to unlock your, the way of your thinking so much that they would see things differently, that they would process things differently, that in conversations with other people, that you, that like the most amazing thoughts would start coming to their mind and that they would have the courage to speak those things. God, that they would see a city that was fully transformed. They would see um, health in their body and in their families and marriages and business. God, that they would actually see and know and understand how you see and that they would actually begin to um, speak those things into existence and start taking great, great steps of faith to see your way come about in their lives. I do believe there's like some of you guys in the room, like, like you are going to have the most amazing family. Like families that people haven't seen. Some of you guys, honestly, in, in, in business, like especially in business, there's something about that here that God wants to like, take your business to a whole nother level and it won't be just because you worked really diligently at it it won't be because you just took great risks it'll just be because you start making good God decisions about what you're doing God we want to live in such a way that what we do that what we say that the staircases of our lives take the world's breath away So, God, we thank you. We thank you for giving us your mind. We pray that you would give us the courage to use it, to use it well. In your name we pray. It says, Amen.